0: Well, welcome to the Social 5 podcast. I am so thrilled to have each of you here uh, with us. We are going through 27 of these panels. And the reason for that is because when the instinct matches up with a type. It creates the subtype and the subtype looks different. So the subtype of the self-preservation five, that subtype looks different than the sexual five and that, that looks different than the social five. And so we really want to get at that and allow you to describe to us what is it like being a social five. And so before we jump in, would you introduce yourself and tell us where you are from?
1: Well, I'm Linda and I'm from Tallahassee, Florida.
2: I am Kirsten. Um, I'm a third culture kid, but I live in England at the moment. I have done for quite a few years.
3: My name is Lindsay. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I currently live in Pikeville, Kentucky.
0: Well, welcome again. And uh, I want to start off by just describing a little bit of the five and the core motivation of the five. Uh, which is language differently depending upon which description you're reading. But essentially, it seems to be around this idea of needing to feel resourced in order to face life and the aspect of sort of holding on to as much as you can, internal resources, you know, sort of thought resources or heart resources, but just holding on to these things. Uh, because the world seems to demand a whole lot and that takes a whole lot and you end up with feeling, um, you know, feeling empty and overdrawn. So that sort of existential sense that fives live with when that matches up with the aspect of the social instinct, the different aspects reading and interpreting, uh, we're going to start with that one. Uh, what does that look like for you? How does that How do these two dance with each other? That need for feeling resourced and also the fact that you are reading and interpreting the group, the people within the group.
1: I feel like as an observer, I pick up on everything and I pick on everybody's body language and what they're saying, their tone. I pick up on all that data and information. And depending on, I think, kind of my level of health or how I'm feeling that day, that information can be either confusing or cause curiosity and make me want to delve in deeper. So like, uh, so I think sometimes the interpreting part can be difficult. Like when I'm, feeling less resource. It's like, I find all that information confusing. Like, why is this person saying one thing, but their body language is telling me something else, you know? And and Mm -hmm. so kind of picking up on all that. And at times, um, I've just wanted to be like, wait, you said this, but you just did that. Like, why did you do that? Which would be weird (laughs) in a conversation sometimes. So, but I, so I don't do it, but, um, uh, but that idea that like, I'm taking all this information, I'm trying to make sense of it as a five, I feel like I didn't get that handbook on life, you know? And so like feeling like, am I interpreting, like, am I understanding things correctly? Like sometimes not getting it, but then also when I am feeling like comfortable in the group or feel like I know what I'm talking about or understand what's going on very much. in Like often a teaching context, I totally it, like it, it flows and it's like, Oh, that kid's not getting it. If I'm teaching something, you know, and it's like, and I can, t- address that or whatever. And it's like, and then it's a strength. So it's kind of depends,
2: Hmm. I guess
1: that whole idea of feeling resource. is like, do I feel competent in this area? And am I making the right interpretations and just having that kind of back and forth with it? Yeah.
0: Hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I appreciate your description of that. I've heard from other fives who are in that social context. I believe this particular individual is a social five, but he would describe it as, yeah, I mean, when I get up in front of people, I can perform, I can roll. And he does, I mean, he sounds amazing, but he says what's happening internally is I never feel like I have enough. I never feel like I'm resourced enough. I never feel like I actually know fully what I should be talking, you know, the the topic that I'm I'm covering. So while it comes off like that, he's internally, there's a different thing going on.
1: I've actually like, I feel like this is the most social five thing to do is to actually read up on it and research it. Like I like research body language and stuff like that. Just like, am I getting this right? Am I understanding people correctly? Like yeah. this it's what it feels like, but am I wrong? You know? So like, yeah, I have
3: felt like I've tried to actually read the handbooks about it. <laughs> <laughs> So when I was discovering my type, I actually was thinking about the job that I enjoyed most. When I moved to Kentucky, the jobs were not available that I used to have. And I kind of had to improvise and find something new and learn a new skill and things like that. And that was overwhelming to me because I like to know everything about what I do. I want to be the best, not the best performance-wise, but I want to be the resource. I want to know what everybody needs to... I want to have all the knowledge. So. When I moved to Kentucky, um, someone offered me a job as a selling advertising for TV and radio. And I was completely overwhelmed by the idea because I didn't know anything about it. But I said, you know, I don't mind to learn. I can learn this. Um, And she was just convinced that this would be something that I could do well and that I would excel at. So I decided to go ahead and try it. And I really did do very well. And I think it's because of combining the knowledge I would learn about the businesses that I was going to. I would stick with certain kinds of businesses. So like I would learn everything I could about heating and cooling and what kind of things they needed and what kind of budgets they would have and all these things. I would learn everything about that. And then I would go sell all of the heating and cooling people I could find in the area because I could talk about their business with them on a level that I understood, not just about TV and radio advertising, but I could also talk about their business. But that also helped me because I wanted to be able to help their business. I wanted to be able to help them get what they needed out of advertising. But I also could go in and I could read the people so much better. A lot of the salespeople, they knew a lot about advertising, but they didn't necessarily know how to read the people that they were selling. So when I went into a business, I could tell, is this person going to talk to me? Why aren't they talking to me? What do I need to do to like engage them and interest them in what I'm selling? And... And for me, it was more of a project of how can I help their business, not necessarily how can I just sell this product? So when I think about the reading and interpreting, but then I also... I was promoted very quickly. Within um, three months, I was running the TV advertising department. And, And my supervisor was just like, for some reason, you sell all of... We've had salespeople here that have tried to sell these businesses for years and have never been able to get past the front gatekeeper, the person that kind of keeps track of things and lets people in to talk to the decision maker. They haven't allowed anybody past them. Why is it that you can figure out how to get past and talk to these people that nobody else has been able to sell? But I really think it's because I can, not only did I become an expert on the information, but I became an expert on the people I was talking to and how to relate to them and how to find a way to talk to them. I mean, I had I had people that were really not happy and really angry with our station for some reason or the people that ran it. But I could engage them and figure out what would engage them in the conversation and how I could make the product useful to them. And if I became very successful at the sales, and it wore me out, I, <laughs> I cuz all of the talking to people really was a lot for me, and I felt really out of place doing all of the talking. But I enjoyed the the game of trying to figure out exactly what um, I needed to do to connect with people and what I needed to do to understand their business to make their sales campaign their in their advertising campaign most successful. Mm. That
0: makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. That's the puzzle that fives enjoy. It's like, hmm, how do I solve this? it's it's tire it's tiresome on the energy but it's also like the i gotta solve this one and so i i I understand that
4: how about you Kristen?
2: i so when i looked at the instincts i thought i was going to be a self-preservation i thought of course it is because i'm going to contain my energy and Mm -hmm. so i I just thought that's going to be me but i came out really really highly on the social and I, i realized Although I'm an introvert, I love people. I love meeting people and I'm constantly scanning, is the team all right? Have they got what they need? Great. And so for me, the five bit of map making processes that work for people is less about being involved with the detail of really getting the processes right, but going, are they good enough that they support the team? Yeah, I do. The re- I'm a great researcher. I'm, you mentioned anything and I'm ordering the book and signing up for things. But I'm also quite, uh, that's good enough for the team. They've got enough for what they, to release them in what they need to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate the description of both what I'm hearing is the five. And this is what's interesting about this is we can't dissect precisely what the instinct all the time. We can see the extremes of them like, okay, that's definitely the instinct. Uh, That's definitely the type. But then there's this interplay in the middle that goes back and forth where it's like, I'm an observer as a five. I already do this. (laughs) I already do kind of the uh, observing, the, uh, the researching. And so reading and interpreting just adds another layer to that where now I'm really reading people and observing them and trying to understand what's happening there. And then you know, coming back and doing more research and trying to understand more in order to then re-engage. And the social instinct does bring you back towards people again. And that's why for fives who typically, and I appreciate what you said, Kirsten, about like, you're looking at the five and thinking, I'm sure as I take this test, I'm going to come out as a self president five because of the sort of core motivation of the five, which is preserving of the energy, right? So, but the social aspect pulls you out and pulls you forward towards people. Uh, Let's look at the bonding and affiliating, the bonding and affiliating uh, part of the instinct, which has to do again with connection to people. So bonding is that checking in, uh, making sure people are okay, making sure the relationship is in a good stand, you know, in a good, in good standing, the affiliating, who are the people that I'm with? Who's my tribe? Who are my, who's my group? And so talk to me about the five it's need for resource and how that plays itself out with that part of the instinct?
1: Well, for me, this is a little bit of spoiler alert. My second instinct is sexual, uh, the one-to-one. And I feel that's where it really shows up in the bonding and affiliating, because I will find a best friend, my boss, or another member of leadership, or I'll find somebody in the group to kind of help me navigate the group. I'll think, "Are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you like, are you picking up? What I'm picking up. What did you think about this?" Particularly if I'm insecure in the group, uh, if I'm not quite sure the group is like, if, if I'm agreeing with the group or think the same thing as the group, or again, if, if I'm kind of unsure, then um, those relationships really help me navigate the group and and I'll rely on their encouragement and confidence to kind of help fuel me to action at times. But on the other hand, uh, when I'm feeling more secure and more resourced, um, I lead, need that less. And I think those people can also sometimes feel like I've discarded them in a way because it's like it's like, now I'm on my own and I don't really need them as much. And I'm going to lead the group. I'm going to teach the group. I'm going to make people feel welcome to the group. I'm going to bring them in and find out more about them and see how they can integrate better into the group. So it's this kind of like, I think being a withdrawing type, it's like what, and in a fear type. It's like, so If I'm feeling afraid and not feeling secure, then I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to try to get resources to help me navigate that. But when I am feeling secure, hello, type eight type of things. And I can, I can lead, I can direct, I can really manage the group in a, in a way that looks very different. I can look very extroverted, even though I'm very much an introvert.
3: Mm.
2: So my current job just really plays into this. I'm an ops manager where I sit in the office. It's a constant check-in with, with that team, that team, that team. Mm. And I just love, I love networking. I just think it saves me so much time because if we can all help each other... So, you know, best practice, sharing what we know. I seem to spend quite a lot of time doing that. And I think it's good for me in my role, but I think it's also good for the team because I'll say, oh, you should talk to that person. And I'm quite releasing about it. I'm not, I don't need to be in that meeting. Mm. I don't need to be in that friendship. It's just, I think you two, you two could really, that would be, that would be a good meeting, either friendship wise or work wise. This is a fascinating
0: point you just brought up. Really, really important uh, because other fives will say, What? Wait, wait, wait. I do not relate one single bit to you saying you like networking. Like that is, seems like hell on earth to me. But that's where the instinct, the social instinct pulls you a little bit out towards this. And you are able to see it still through the lens of the five, which is, this is actually a better way of doing it because this is, creates resources around me and it's still serving the five. So it's it's, a, it's fascinating that there's such a distinct difference between another five who would say, no way, that seems to pull all the resources out of me. Whereas you see it as, um, yes, it does stretch me, but it, it does serve me in this way and how you're making that connection. So very fascinating.
2: It serves me, but it also serves others. So I think it, it, it helps group. with... It helps me, but I'm contributing and I can see the yes. list for, for others.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: But, I, but I'm one of those people that would say that I don't like networking. Because I think of networking, I think of like mingling and like having to like work at finding out what people like and small talk and things like that. And that, that sounds like, but, but the idea of you need something and I know where you can get it. And it may be a person, it may be a book, it may be, you know, but like, yeah, so this the sharing of resources is kind of how it plays. Yeah, because
4: you're you want to be a resource and you're you're wanting to be useful. And so the networking piece for you is going to be, well, how do I plug into the network? So we even talk about networkers, which is a very IT data, data central kind of a, a language, but it's networking to resource, whether that resource be human or intellectual resource or whatever, but it's still the network of connection between I see that need there and that resource there and I can connect the two. And so I think when people think of that term networking, a lot of times people do think of like they... Uh, a networking party where you're like mingling and you're having to make small talk. And what do you do? And that is not what networking yeah. ultimately is. You know, I was, I'm a social 8 and I hate those environments, <laughs> uh, but I love to connect the right person to the right resource. So yeah, I, I think that's a really smart distinction in how it shows up for, for you as a 5 and clarity around even what that kind of yeah. concept is within the social sphere.
0: And that you don't need to be part of that. That's another interesting thing that we're noticing yes. across all social types is that they're saying, once I make the connection, I don't need to be there anymore. Right. I don't need to be
4: central to that conversation. Yeah, I'm building the network. I don't have to be a central component to every connection of it. So Lindsay, what about you as far as this bonding and affiliating piece?
3: Right now I'm a stage four cancer patient. And so I really wasn't working for a while. I was trying to, I threw all of my... Um, fiveness into understanding cancer <laughs> I'm trying to research all of that to survive and to live and but it's not something that came to me naturally as far as like learning something for myself so I've been a part of a group a support group and now now I run the group and I have like a group of leaders we're part of a team that helps run like a 5,000 person cancer support group. So, I lead this team of leaders in the group and that when she, when you're talking about networking that kind of plays into that because I do really well in the smaller group. I feel like in the smaller group I can understand the individuals that I'm dealing with. I know how I can relate to each of them in a way that matters to them and help them and I can deal with the smaller groups. But when you you say networking, like you were talking about, a lot of times I struggle to reach out. Part of my job and my position and what I do now with this um, community is I'm supposed to network with like drug companies. I don't mind to meet with like. A leader in the drug company to talk about how the drug affects cancer patients and talk about the drug and how it could help improve cancer survivors and things like that. Like those kinds of things I can do, but networking just to like build my status or something or build my reputation is not something that completely intrigues me. Like it's something that I have to force myself to do. But I do really well. I've thrown myself into understanding the cancer, the different needs of the different groups and and the different personalities involved and how people are handling cancer and so forth and how to talk to the different patients at the different levels that they're at with handling cancer. Since we are a group that like is led by cancer patients, so there's an element of the fact that I can handle it like the knowledge piece of it. I know exactly what's going on and I can handle the knowledge and I can relate to the people in the different groups, the caregivers, the patients, the care providers, where I have a lot of people that lead these private groups under me that they can only stay in their lane. If they're a caregiver, they really only can relate to the caregivers or if they're a patient, they can only relate to the patients. But I think where my type as understanding, trying to understand everything I can about the different groups, but also being re, being able to relate to a caregiver, even though I'm not a caregiver, or at least being able to see um, what they struggle with or what they're, um, you know, they're, what brings them joy, what brings them sadness. I can see that when I talk to them and be able to relate to them, even though it's not an experience I've necessarily had as a caregiver, I can still kind of hear where they're coming from. So for example, I had a call with some of our leaders last week and somebody said as a stage four patient, I don't understand how you can handle being in each of the groups and seeing what goes on in each of the groups, the people who are, whose cancer is not as advanced or the people who are caregivers or just dealing with the doctors all the time and all their medical speak. How do you handle doing all of that? And I think it's because, um, because I really enjoy the knowledge. I want to know everything about all aspects of it. I want to know what the caregivers go through. I want to know what the patients go through. I want to know everything that doctors know and the scientists and the researchers and the drug developers. I want to know all of these things. But I also, I want everybody to be a part of the group. And I want to be a part of bringing them together and helping them understand how we can all work together to make this a better situation. hmm
0: yeah, this is the distinct difference between what some of you might've heard is, wow, so you can adapt and you can wear the different hats and different roles. And like, that sounds three-ish if I understand type threes who do this, um, this adapting kind of behavior. But that's the difference between a three and a five. A five can do that and does it from the headspace, does it from an observing standpoint, sort of even a little bit removed from that role. So it's not an over-identifying with the role. Like a three will over-identify with the role that they become that they they take on. Whereas a five doesn't it's, it's the wearing of the different hats and being able to pull them off with genuine interest. Like I'm curious about this. Um, So it's a fascinating difference and it's what you can do. And then the social instinct pulls that even more forward again, like, Oh, more people to understand more things to know. And so the curiosity is is definitely displayed there.
3: It's kind of funny that you say that because one of the board members for the organization is, is definitely a three, like a social three, maybe. And he, I'm always head to head with him because he wants me to be more like The face of CRC. Like, he wants me to just be like the spokesperson in the face and just have like these heart pulling heartstrings kind of videos and things like that. But to me, I want to grow, you know, to advertise our group and things like that. To me, I'd rather grow organically. I'd rather grow through relationships with people and have like a more like, this is how we can be a benefit to you. I don't want it to just be like, you know lots of selfies and <laughs> dramatic <laughs> yeah. posts about what i'm going through and all those things i don't want to just like you know make that happen so i think it's funny cuz one of the people that i i kind of like go head to head with it kind of is um a battle on on the strategy of growing the group i'd rather do mm-hmm. it through what we can offer resource wise and maybe i'm being hard on threes i don't know but.
0: I was going to say, let's, let's move away. Let's, let's clarify this. So, because we, we want to say the truth of this is, is that we all have strengths, you know, the high side, the low side, we all have it. And so this plays itself out in different ways. And there's also just understanding uh, that, um, you know, head types move from the head space, heart types move from the heart space. And so there are different things we see and there are different things we value. And it's so easy for us to moralize our types. And I do it all the time. Like, you know, <laughs> like you should be more like a seven, you know, essentially is what I say sometimes to people without actually literally saying that. And instead of like, oh no, they're, you know, I'm married to a six. I have a child who's a six. And so I need to understand their perspective and value their perspective and where they come from. So uh, let's move to the third aspect of this instinct, which is contributing. And you've already talked about this, and that's because all three live symbiotically with each other, the reading and interpreting, the bonding, affiliating, and then contributing to the herd. Talk to me about how that shows up for you as a five. So thinking in terms of your contribution and also others contributing, because it kind of thinks in both ways.
1: Some statements I think of is like, I don't want to be the weakest link. Like I don't have to be the team captain, but I do not want to be the weakest link for the team kind of thing. It's like, I want to make sure I'm bringing a hundred percent a game to the team because I don't want to them to lose because of me. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. And I contribute by teaching and mentoring a lot. That's really how I see a lot of contribution. I offer a unique perspective. And if I contribute to the group, the group will take care of me. That's very much a way I think of things. It's like contribution is like I give in to the group and the group helps me. Like it's a kind of reciprocal thing.
2: Um, I just love, I love working in a team. I'd much rather do that than on my own. It's not necessarily on every task, but just to be part of a team. And as you say, just being good for the team. And just also, I think that thing about using what you've learned for others. So um, I'm a bereaved parent. My son died at the age of 20. So I facilitate a local compassionate friends group. And again, it's that thing of bonding and affiliating and using what I've learned. It brings, it brings meaning to be part of that. It, it helps me personally, but it's, it's also, um, brings meaning. And I think that serving the greater good and working out, but I have to be very careful with my energies. I'm very good with my boundaries, you know, what I can and can't do. Yeah.
4: So you yeah. just said, I'm really good with my boundaries, but I'm cautious with my energies. Could you uh, explain a little bit about that distinction?
2: probably go hand in hand in that because i'm constantly monitoring i scan situations and conversations personally as to whether there are going to be triggers yes um so i'm constantly doing that with a slight sort of post-traumatic stress hat on sort of assessing the situation as well as being a five and then looking and planning my day to going well if i'm doing this i might be very careful in the afternoon i will not plan anything for after this this evening because i'll be wiped out but Mm -hmm. also being prepared to do this because i've loved listening to other people do their panels i've learned a lot from them and so this although this is out of my comfort zone i think this comes back to the this is why it's worth doing it because it might be helpful
0: yeah and and if i forget to say this towards the end i want to make sure i say this to all three of you, thank you. Because I know that as a five, that takes a lot out of you. And the instinct, and, and I've heard this from, I think, all three of you, it's like the social instinct is, is why I'm willing to contribute. I do see the value that it does contribute to the herd. It contributes to the group of people who are pursuing self-development. So this is a way that I can contribute to that. So I, I deeply appreciate you know
4: the three of you for doing that. So um, thank you. Yeah. And the group learning and the group knowledge. Uh, and this is a contribution to others and, and yeah. five, you have this desire to be a resource. And then it's this interesting time where you are the resource and you're, you're giving of yourself in this space. And, you know, we say the the la- one of the last phrases we have on our instincts description is that uh, the social instinct, they're intelligent on where they put their energies with others. And this is so core to the five and um, something we so appreciate And how you uh, shared that and, and explained that's really great. So let's move on to the neutral instinct, the second one. We often refer to this as the, the secondary in your sequence or your stack of your instincts. This is the one that typically functions more neutrally. Uh, you often can use it to serve the dominant or uh, in some other way. But what is your relationship to your secondary instinct and how do you use it?
1: I kind of have to laugh because in my head, I think of all my three instincts kind of having a conversation and this neutral, the second one is just this gutless flip-flopper in between social is my dominant and then my self-preservation is my last. So, so I just hear like my social like instinct making an argument and then my self-press my, no, but you got to do this. And like the, the sexual instinct in the middle so it's over the popcorn, like, Oh yeah, good point. Oh no, you're right too. That's a good thing too. And then it just, it's a flip-flopper in the middle. Like uh, it'll, it'll support either <laughs> one, you know, like it, but the, the self-press always gets this short end of the stick. So, so oh. it tends to support the social more often because the social wins <laughs>
4: more often. And how, what does that look like? you have an example yeah. of that?
1: Social supporting social, so I am very entrepreneurial, very futuristic. Futuristic is one of my strengths. Finders strengths, and so I love new ideas and I love starting new things. But it's really overwhelming to think about doing it by myself. Like I want to do it with a team, with a group, and I want to move the group forward. I want to move the group forward into new areas and into new, the future, into new ideas. I don't know if you heard the phrase entrepreneur, like an entrepreneur that's within a group that basically does that ah. um so i would describe myself that way so that i'm willing to take with with a group when to save the world like let's go <laughs> um, i'll help us figure out how to do that you know like i'll, I'll put together some systems or uh, I, i'm a writer so like i'll write the language around it like put all that extra energy into that but i tend to do it through key relationships so that's how the sexual plays into it is is i will be yeah, a a mentor or a consultant for the leader of the group. That's just some ways that I've kind of seen it play out.
2: Yeah. Okay. And I think I talked about mine. I've got a high self-prez and that comes into me monitoring my health, monitoring my energy levels, scanning the situation. So first of all, I'm doing it to make sure everyone else is all right, but I, I need to do it for myself as well. So that comes in very close behind. Mm.
3: I tend to be like Linda, the sexual is the second, the neutral. I am willing to take risks and like push the envelope and I can tap into like the energy of attraction and those kinds of things that it talks about, but it doesn't come like that. I have to kind of focus on it and I have to I have to gear up to utilize those elements that are in the sexual instinct. Like they're kind of there under the surface and I can tap into them but they don't like pop out. I do end up taking risks and I end up pushing things and I end up, you know, breaking routines at times, but it has to be because it makes the most sense. It has to be because I have a lot of data to support doing that. So, I mean, that might sound like it's not risky, but (laughs) it feels risky. (laughs) For example, I lived in India for a while and that was not something that I had to kind of, you know in my mind, I knew that what I was going to India to do would be helpful to people that I had the skills that would be useful for folks that I could make a difference, but there was some risk. I was um, in going there. I was pregnant at the time. um, So I was going to go have a baby in a third world country. And there was some element of being willing to take on the risk and do something a little crazy and something that wasn't in the routine, Mm. but the, the social instinct and having data to support making that decision and why that would be helpful to everyone overall was really what made it an okay risk to take. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally.
1: One thing I was just thinking of that I told you, Joel, but when I first read the description, social also, they're very aware of rank and things like that status. So I'm married to a pastor. And so I thought... So, you're telling me that I slept my way to the top of the church? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Um, this is how God made me. This is what he's designed me for, whatever. You know, like,
3: <laughs> oh
2: my God. But,
1: but, uh, but that was my first thought was like, so you're telling me that oh, well, I use this instinct to support this other one in this way? <laughs>
0: oh man, that is that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah let's talk about the third you've already I mean now it's clear which one is your third but uh, so tell me which what it is and what problems it has caused you and how you are growing through it how you're integrating it into your life
1: so self-preservation last so it turns out that you can't live on coke and cheetos (laughs) um surprise wow (laughs) <laughs> Dang it. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's that part of me that just keeps getting that short end of the stick. Like uh, it's hard for me to stick up for it. Like I feel like I would lose those other relationships, the the social, the sexual connections. I feel like I have to lose those in order to take care of my self-preservation because it's like, because those things I feel like I have to be alone for. So it's like I feel like I have to pull away. I feel like if I'm gonna take care of myself, I can't do it around other people because in trying to integrate it, not maybe even consciously, but just naturally, sometimes it has come conflict with this other instincts, so it's like sometimes my husband doesn't like what it is that I feel like I think I need or the group may not, like like the, my work's not gonna like it if I miss my deadline because I'm protecting some self president I mean my sleep or whatever it is so, so it's like I have a hard time giving up those other things in order to take mm. care of myself especially having kids now it's like You know, somebody always needs a snack and I will feed them and then be so tired from feeding them that I don't even want to eat myself. I, so I struggle. I mean, the five, it's like, I know everything I'm supposed to do. I know the stuff. Like I could teach the exercise class. I could teach the nutrition class. You know, I can know all this stuff, but in order to actually do the things, it just feels so hard because I feel like I'm having to cut out other people to do it. Does that make any kind of sense? So this
0: uh, this brings up a question that I think is really important to understand, to understand the five and also understand how the self-preservation then for you if it's your neglected instinct some fathers would say that's where i get my resource i mean the you know the self-preservation is very much a place of resource does it feel for you then that the social and the sexual primarily are the place you do feel resourced is by being around that as opposed to feeling resourced by being around things that require self-preservation
1: Well, yes and no, because I do also kind of fantasize about the self present stuff. Like I would love, Uh, I would love to go to a float, float spa. I've never done a float spa. And I was like, to just sit, like float in a room with no noise.
4: Like a deprivation tank? Deprivation, yes. yes, Okay.
1: (laughs) I would love to do that for like an hour, but I'm Uh, not going to spend the money on it. To try to convince my husband that that's something I should do, like sounds like a difficult task to me and it's going to be the last thing on my list. And maybe if all those stars will align, then I can go to the flip spot.
0: <laughs> no, I told that, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, and t- typically that works for whatever direction your sequence goes in. It's like, if this is satisfied and that's, it,
2: then maybe I'll can do the third one. Whereas I book into retreats, days out, whatever. Right? It's like, I need it so that I can actually operate. It's way up there. <laughs> So whereas for me, the, the sexual one is my lowest one and it's pretty low. So it's that whole, I'm really having to work on that one. And for me, because I'm a five, I've researched it and I've done courses and I'm learning because that's how oh, yeah. you solve, solve problems. <laughs> so um, artist Way is yeah. something I have done and followed and I do my artist dates Regularly, mm. because I know they feed my soul, mm. um, but I have to plan it and be organised about it. So it's just really weird. Whereas, like, can you people... say a little
0: bit about what that is? Artist, artist way, artist,
2: artist date is just uh, artist way is um, releasing creativity. And I would this thing about leaning into desire and not editing the self. Mm. So I, I write morning pages, which is like you don't want anyone to read your morning pages. But it's that place of learning not to self-edit and work out what what's really going on for me, mm. and and actually pushing into it a little bit. And then the other thing I've beca- is I found out about is um, nonviolent communication. And again, I'm doing courses and I'm learning, and it's about identifying feelings and needs, which is like a really new language for me, like. Mm. I literally have my sheets plastified so that I can go, what am I feeling? What do I need? I think it also plays out for me that the moment I found that, I immediately thought this would be good for the group. Mm -hmm. And and so the first thing (laughs) I've done is is to organize team training so that we can all start helping each other. And I think that's a really interesting bit where you go, this is great for me. But who else needs this? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's so good. So very good. Like the fact that you're doing some work around this to develop it intentionally is excellent. And then that you understand that the neglected instinct is there to serve the dominant instinct. And you're doing that. So that's the ultimate goal is that, hey, I've learned something that's really helpful to me. Let's see if we could do this as a group and go back to your dominant instinct. Well done. Um, yeah, Yeah, really good.
2: And I think Arthur's way as well was, I, somebody ran the course for me. It's a 12-session course. You just follow the book. It doesn't cost you anything. But since then, I've run it three times for other groups. Mm. And it, it just it brings me a huge amount of energy and cause it helps me to follow the process. But also this social side of sharing it, it brings you back to the meaning.
0: This is what we say. Like, this is so good. This is rich. So I'm glad you're putting this out into the world because there are many others who will jump onto this and discover there's a way to do this that serves your dominant instinct. If you're social, sexual, and you struggle with self-preservation, and figure out ways of doing self-preservation with other people. I was just coaching somebody about, you know, another type similar to mine. Well, exactly, my seven with a sexual, social kind of sequencing. I said, you know, you got to just bring people with you. You can't do this alone. Like if you're going to do self-preservation work, try to bring people with you because then it helps to serve the dominant instinct and you're still getting, you know, working on that repressed one. So really good stuff. Lindsay, how about you?
3: I mean, the self-preservation thing is probably like zero for me. (laughs) It has to hit a real serious crisis for me to start taking those things seriously, I guess. For example, I mean, I was it was um, three years ago that I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I was at church on a Wednesday night for VBS, running around with a bunch of kids, teaching kids and doing all these things. I helped put it on. I helped clean up. I ran around with kids all night. I didn't feel well and I knew that I'd had health problems and I'd kind of like, you know, i I kept putting off doctor's appointments and dealing with it. Um, the next day I was so sick that I could not put off going to the, I started out going to a clinic and they were like, honey, you're real sick. Cause I, I live in Kentucky, honey, you're real sick. You need to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and, you know, at the hospital, I kept blowing it off. I kept saying, oh, I'm probably nothing. It's probably just a virus or something. But, you know, they told me I had to come here and they said that you guys would, you know, tell me what was wrong. I just know that I'm really sick, but it's probably nothing major. I'm sorry that I'm wasting your time. Like I kept apologizing to the doctors about wasting their time. And, um, you know, I found out in the ER that I had stage four cancer with 13 tumors on my liver. So... I was and I was in the hospital for six weeks after that. Like they didn't know that I would get out of the hospital. I, you know, I went from one night running around the church trying I didn't feel great, but I kept pushing that off. I, I felt like I needed to help. If you're in churches, you know that, that like helping with the kids, a lot of people don't want to always sign up for that. So I'm like, oh I, you know, I need to help the church. I need to help this. I can do this. I can be helpful in this situation. I need to be running around with the kids. And I was trying to, I just gotten divorced and I'd just gotten job issues. So I was like throwing myself into all of these things of how I could help my family, how I could help the church, how I could help, you know, working and all these things. And I kept putting off taking care of my own physical health until it, I mean, I literally could not go any longer and I had to take care of the medical piece. And, um, it was a similar thing with, I was married for 15 years and a really not necessarily great relationship. And then, You know, leaving the relationship to take care of myself was like the last thing I considered. I just never realized that I needed to leave the relationship, you know. And one of the supervisor that I had at the sales place, she said to me, She said, Lindsay, I've watched you and you are so good at seeing in other people. You're so good at pulling out of other people and understanding everybody else's situation and advocating for other people's situations and helping them, but you don't take care of yourself. Why do you not like Take care of yourself. And um, I mean, I had to get to a point where I was a crisis, in crisis in all of those situations personal life and home life and health and all those things. I had to come to a crisis before I was willing to take that seriously and start investing in it. And now that I do, I, I was forced to slow down because of the disease, you know, and I can see where investing in those things is helpful. So now trying to juggle everything as a stage four patient, I realize I don't have the energy to do everything. So one of the things that I do is, you know, in the past, I've tried to just do it all myself. But if there is something I delegate, it's somebody helping me with my house or it's somebody helping me with my budget or it's somebody helping me cook, (laughs) you know, I share custody of my kids, and if I don't have the kids, I'll just I'll just won't eat. Like <laughs> I'll focus on the other stuff, and I'll put off making meals. I'll just snack here, or there, or whatever, and people realize that. So I realize if I'm going to ask for help with something, it's usually in regards to helping me with meals or helping me with getting my house kind of organized and back in line or I mean I have a lot of work to do but I believe it or not it has improved a bit. (laughs) No
0: that's what I was going to say I've you know you and I have talked before and you're doing a lot of good work in the space even using the social sphere to help you with that Mm -hmm. piece of the the, uh, self-preservation and you've also had some improvements in the area of health and well-being Mm -hmm. that has been you know borderline miraculous it sounds like and so there's some really wonderful things that are taking place in that sphere as well. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to say a little something about that, but that you since focusing on yourself, since focusing on your health, yeah, things have uh, turned around.
3: You know, because I didn't know much about the Enneagram until all this started and I, you guys, and I, I started listening to the podcast and everything. So, um, but when I was married, I didn't know any of this. And I, I dealt with a lot of depression. I dealt with a lot of anxiety. And my oncologist at my last appointment, she she joked about prescribing me an antidepressant to help with some of the other side effects that I deal with, um, the neuropathy in my hands and my feet. So it, wasn't, it wouldn't be for depression. It would just be to help me with the neuropathy that I deal with. And she, said, she joked and she said, you are the least depressed person I've ever met. So you definitely don't need an antidepressant, which really kind of made me laugh because like I struggled with what in my mind was depression for, you know, so long once I was forced to slow down and take care of myself, the happiest I've been has been with stage four cancer after my divorce. Mm. (laughs) So, I mean, I've I've been, it doesn't make sense. You know, people think that I should be dealing with depression now that I have, you know, on paper, it's a terminal disease and, And I'm divorced, and on paper it looks like my life should be really bad right now. But I'm much happier now, but it's because I've put some effort into improving, taking care of myself, and I've always neglected that in the past. So once I did come to the crisis of the stage four cancer and everything, you know, I wasn't supposed to live very long. But I've thrown myself into the research, and I've thrown myself into understanding what i can do to live and i've tried to utilize everything that i can the best doctors there are some people that i don't necessarily have the resources to travel to the best doctor or whatever but i find you know i find ways to utilize the newest studies the best research in the group that i work with the, the crc group that Colon cancer group that I work with, um, that's what they pride themselves on is being the top and understanding the science. So we support each other as a community, but we also have top notch science. So by utilizing some of those things that has improved, I've used that part of the five that researches things and knowledge, and even, you know, like the supportive, we talked about the sexual side or whatever. Um, the backup thing. So I'm willing to take some risks in treatment in order to make living possible. So you can kind of see like the, the social side and then the sexual side play in. And then it's all to bring the self-preservation side up to par with the others. The other two are working hard to make the self-preservation happen. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so very much, all three of you for your time for the energy that you've poured into this, for your thoughts that have been very insightful and in helping us to understand more about the social five. And uh, with that, I just want to say blessings to you on your journey, particularly as you work at developing all three instincts to the fullness of what they could be.
4: So big thanks to each of you. Bye. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more about us at www.theartofgrowth.org. That's the place to learn more about our comprehensive training and coaching programs for organizations around team health. And you can also reach out to us there about individual coaching as well. And there are many tools on the Art of Growth website to help you on your journey. We'd also encourage you to check out the main Art of Growth podcast. Grace and growth, my friends.